0: Welcome to We Fish ASA, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. My name is Steve Sarley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We Fish ASA is always pleased to offer you conversation with the most interesting, the most informative, the most entertaining as well as some of the biggest names in the world of fishing. We Fish ASA is brought to you by by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association, in particular St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a line of fishing products that fits your fishing lifestyle and passion. And, Daiwa, we've got your bass covered. They sure do. Daiwa Reels, We Fish ASA, is recorded in... Northern Illinois, we ship the audio down to uh, Berserk Productions in Lando Lakes, Florida, where it is magically transformed into what you're hearing right now by our good friend and executive producer, Mr. Brad Nearman. On today's show, we feature Casey Shedd, the president of Aftco, They're a great company, really supports the industry, and definitely a part of the future of fishing. Dan Johnston will be with us, as always. And I get to visit with Oliver Nye, that's spelled N-G-Y. He is a big bass expert. No, wrong. He's a big fish expert, and you're going to enjoy hearing what Oliver
1: Nye has to say. But first, let me hand off to Dave Kranz. Take it away, David. As Steve said, I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast, and this segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on Earth. Welcome back, Dan Johnston. Hey Dave, how are you? I am doing great. Uh, although it's, it's winter and it's cold, we're in January here in uh, the upper midwest and uh, you know it's cold but the uh, topic today is something that um, even if it's cold people can practice this indoors but time on the water for so many high school and collegiate kids they want to get out there they want to fish but uh, like any sport any athlete You need to put your your time on the water or time practicing in, don't you?
2: I don't know if I could say this more emphatically, but you can only learn so much online. You can only learn so much on chat rooms and going to sports shows and watching MLF and the Bassmasters on TV. And and I, I get it. There's a lot to learn there. And we can always learn by talking to other people and watching what they do, but I'll take to my grave. There's nothing that makes you better more than doing it yourself. And fortunately, I was in a situation years back, um, all the way through high school, all the way through college in the years following where I spent a ton of time on the water and and what was what's good not that I don't have a ton to learn because I have more to learn than I know but what I do know is if I go back to pick up a flipping stick or if I go to throw a big swim bait or if I'm trying to work on a cadence on a buzz bait it comes back to me more naturally not because of reading about it but because of doing it for a hundred thousand miles for decades and I think that your point is gold, and you know, for the people who live in the south, they have an advantage that they can get out year round. For people that live where I live, it's a little more challenged. But um, I think there are. I think it's it, it's critical. Um, I think it's. Uh, I'm not going to say a lost art because a lot of people try to get out as much as they can. But I think that uh, some people err on the side of becoming internet anglers more than getting out and actually doing it. And, and I think that they've got to be out there. You've got to get bit by mosquitoes. you got to get sunburned. you got to understand how the boat's doing a certain thing when the wind comes up and you can't learn, you can't learn that online. It's hard to explain, but it's so critical. And I, I've talked to a lot of my friends about that. Most of them are older, that um, would completely agree. So I, I would suggest it's tough because I don't get to fish near as much as I used to because of what I do for work. But I think that uh, for all those people that can get out, get out as much as you possibly can because there's no substitute than cutting your teeth on the water.
1: Absolutely not. And I always like to tell people that you want to learn a new technique. If you want to learn how to fish with a jig or fish with a buzz bait. Uh, you don't even have to be able to catch one at that time of year when the water thaws and there's no ice on it. Or it can be a, a, a day that it's, um, it, a cold front came in, but you can practice. You can go out there, take that buzz bait to a pond, throw it, play around with the cadence on it, um, get practice at, at uh, loosening, uh, you know, the spool control, seeing how far, the distance you can get to it, that's the time to adjust and, and try to figure out what's the perfect setting, how hard can I cast this, how far can I go, but even more importantly than that, how accurate can I be? Pick a target, a, uh, a dock or a stump or something that's sitting there or a, a weed that's floating on top, a, a leaf, and, and cast to it and over and over and over, and that will improve your accuracy. But I I, I agree with you on, on how many people Learn techniques online, and then they think, "Okay, I can go do this now." But but that's not the case.
2: No, and you are bring up a great point. I didn't think I didn't know you were going to go there, but it really takes me back to times where I've gone, Dave. I've done this so many times. I'll go out in the right after ice out when my home lake is gin clear, and I'm throwing baits. I know they won't bite, but the only reason I'm throwing them is I want to be able to see what the baits doing under the water when they will bite it. Um, And Another example is forward-facing. I spent hours and hours and hours not fishing with forward-facing, but going up to something that I knew was there, like a visible stump in the water. I could see it 10 foot down because the water's clear. And I'd get 20 foot off it, put my forward facing on it and say, what does that look like on forward facing in both scout mode and forward mode? What exactly am I looking at? Because when the water is dirty and they're going to start biting really good, I'll know what it looks like. And I also learned that objects are closer than they appear on that thing. That's the first thing I noticed is you mark something 20 foot out and it's right under you and, or not right under you, but not as far as you think. And I, I think that that is a classic example. Um, I even not fish that stump. But I wanted to learn what it showed me. And and I did the same thing with side imaging. And I think that it's it's really important to oper- be opportunistic at any opportunity you can learn. If you're out in clear water throwing a, uh, um, a top water bait or something to see what that thing does with a certain cadence, um, even though you know they're not going to bite it. Uh, what kind of uh, shadow does that thing cast in shallow water? What does, you know, how does it work in cold water versus warm water? What lines work better in cold water versus warm water? All of, And I'm talking about a top water. Yep. And think of how many things you know they're not going to bite that you can throw just from a learning standpoint. And, you know, how, what, one way I learned to shoot docks for crappies, if anybody's seen that, that I've done on social media, is from shooting pop cans in my garage.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm not
2: going to catch one doing that. But I'm dancing a pop band across the floor of my garage like the old west guy shooting guns with stuff. And I did it because I wanted to learn how to hit it. I knew if I could hit that thing and then hit it again when it's 20 feet farther away, then I can probably maybe get it under a dock a little better. So I, th- I think the the topic is a good one. And, and these are things that all of us can do in our spare time.
1: Yeah. Time on the water doesn't only have to include the fishing rod in your hand. How about the guys that have a new boat, a new rig? Early in the season, maybe seasons are closed or uh, ramps are open, but there's not a lot of boating traffic, and you have an opportunity to go put your boat in and out 10 times. For a weekend angler, that may take him two and a half months to do, but if he goes and does it and practices, what a a, uh, learning curve that he's going to be ahead and be confident that he can put it in, take it out, pull it all the way out, Hook it up, do everything you're supposed to do. I, I, I think that's another great tip for for uh, boaters, uh, whether they're an angler or not. But uh, obviously, we're talking to the fishermen here, but but I think that's great for, for that too.
2: Yeah, I think like anything we've ever tried to do in our lives to get better at, and I, I can go back to golf. Whenever I really wanted to dial something in, I would go out when the weather wasn't very good or whenever I could get out. It's a lot more fun to play, no question, but I knew playing would be more fun if I got better at a 52-degree wedge, so that's all I would hit. Dump a 100 of them out and determine that I can hit this thing 105 yards, flush, or back off it and hit it here, and I never got great at it, but I got a lot better than I would have if I hadn't done it. And I think that taught, at least that taught me, Um, from the fishing, fishing was a little easier for me because I absolutely love no matter what, way more than golf. I I, I would just love to go, even if I'm putting my boat in like you say, just to get out. But it's nice to go tool around and get the bugs out and make sure everything works, but why not pick up a rod and throw that dirt bait, even if it's over fifty foot of water, just so you could see its cadence and see where fluoro takes it versus mono. See what that does when you actually it with your rod tip. Watch it on forward facing when you do that because there's a little delay. You learn that too. And, and you just learn. You know you're not going to catch anything, but you're getting so much information. So when you go out when they are biting and you see that stump and you realize, you know what? I remember when I did this. I think a little closer than I think it is. I'm going to get a little delay on my screen. And then you start to see fish and your learning curve goes up. But it, it's, that, it's that work on the front side. It can make you so much better, and there's not really one area of fishing you can't do that to.
1: No, like, and you've with a crankbait or a stickbait, like you said, a stickbait, you can watch and twitch it and see how long it continues to move after you're not doing anything. A crankbait, you can be reeling that in in clear water, and you can see, okay, you stop going forward. How much did it back up, and how long did it take to come up? you know uh, six or eight inches which could be the critical strike zone so you know when to pause all the all these things are time on the water and and can help somebody uh so much i i i think there's there's so many that we we could co- come up with but uh definitely the the ones that we given and i think the different types of lines what a great time to experiment with the same bait and see how it how it reacts as you said two different different lines it's it's an opportunity that you won't waste this time uh, during a time that you can go fishing.
2: Well, go, two, two things I'll say to all anglers out there, bath anglers, that are, that, have, that have been completely revolutionary to me. Number one is weighting stick baits. How much stick weight do I put on them to get them to slowly sink or to hold still with mono versus floral and how fast do they do both? And then secondly, stand-up baits on the bottom. There's so many baits we rig up, we throw out there that lay flat. There's other trailers we can put on that stick it up straight up which is a lot better attack angle for a feeding predator. So you don't know that unless you can actually see it. You can you can go online, and I know the Z-Man stands up and a all, but I get that. But the way you rig it, the type of head you use, the, the gauge of the hook and a, a lot, the amount of skirt, you have all these things determine what that thing really looks like, and you never know do you actually see it. So you go out in clear, cold water, you know they're not going to bite it. It's three foot deep. You want to be able to see it. Throw it out there and watch it. And watch what does when you pop it. Watch the rate of the fall. Watch it. You can see. I did that in a bathtub when Z-Man first came out. I had about four foot of line, tied a jig on, and I put their different tails on to see what the baits do when they would get down. Ned rigs, TD craws, all those things. And I learned so much in a bathtub about what that thing would do when I got out on the lake. You talk about somebody that has a problem. I admit it. i thought
1: probably was <laughs> counseling.
2: But those, those, I'm serious, those are the kind of things that you can do in the dead of winter And you don't have to go learn it when you're actually fishing. And sometimes, more times than not, what everybody says online isn't necessarily exactly what it actually does. Maybe the way you have it rigged, maybe it's the line, whatever. Uh, But there's so many little modifications you can make by just doing it yourself.
1: Absolutely always great information from Dan Johnson. Great topic. Look forward to talking to you next week.
2: Hey Dave, thanks so much for
1: having me. Appreciate uh, it. No problem. That was Dan Johnson. I am Dave Cran, Steve Sarley is remote, and this segment was brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. We will be right back. Probably one of the number one questions I get you
0: know, what line do I use? It's a big debate. For every tour out there, everybody's debating which line. I choose the simple side. My choice of line is Sunline, and my favorite lines to use is Sunline. How all can you use it? Anywhere you want to. Anywhere there's water and bass, it's good. Walleye, catfish, trout, speckled right, trout, lady. sharks.
1: There we go. Uh, I don't say this unless I think it's true, but honestly, it's the best in the market. Welcome back to the we Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Cran, Steve Starley is remote, and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel. For those with a passion for the outdoors, I always like to say every guest I get to have on this segment has a passion for the outdoors. My next guest certainly does. He is president of AFCO. Casey Shedd, welcome to the program.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to chat here
1: for a minute or two. Oh, awesome. Uh, you know, uh, fco does so much for the uh, for the industry. Now it's a family business, and I and I think that's one of the things that that I've always been impressed with is is it's a business, but it's also a family atmosphere, and you you treat it like um, you give back to this industry, and you treat it with a passion, and that you care about it. And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your involvement and and uh, and how it came to be.
3: Yeah, great. So I'm right. It is a family business. I'm generation three. Um, and, you know, the, the, that's, that's normally the generation that screws stuff up. So I've got kind of a, a breath on my shoulders, at my brother, and myself, and my sister. But um, we're, we're, you know, we've been, our families own the business for 50 years, started making high-end offshore fishing rod parts and then got into apparel. Um, and I had a lot of transitions along the way. But the one thing that's kind of been consistent through that, as long as we've been involved, is our our 10% pledge, which is our way of giving back. So we give uh, 10% of our profits every year to conservation and fishing resource and access issues over the last two years in total. It's been about a million dollars of checks written. Um, and then in addition to that, we do an awful lot with uh, volunteer time and product and the rest. And, you know, that we, we, we kind of feel like we've taken so much from the outdoors and have, and have enjoyed the, uh, nature and, and, and uh, exploration and, and um, just being outside, That you know, the, our 10% pledge is sort of always giving back.
1: Yeah, and that's awesome, and I, I think the, uh, pe- everybody in the outdoors realizes that uh, clean waters and air and everything that surrounds it helps everybody uh, enjoy nature in the outdoors, whether that's fishing or bird watching or hiking or camping or hunting or whatever they do, it we take care of it, and and uh, the fact that you guys uh, do that pledge with the ten percent back to uh, uh, basically uh, where where you you're making living off of. But I, I I have a feeling that that's that never was the reason to start with. It was because you guys uh, cared about the environment. Yeah,
3: and you mentioned something interesting. You know, you mentioned birders and hikers, and and um, you know what I know well is the oceans. I, I live um, you know a few miles from a. Um, the oceans here in Southern California. And uh, in the case of the ocean, it's a little similar in freshwater, but particularly in saltwater. You know, the original stewards of that environment were recreational anglers. It wasn't the sailors. It wasn't the beachgoers. It was, you know, for as far as, you know, cleaning up our um, ocean pollution or uh, uh, gill nets or um, overfishing issues here domestically, the sort of or- or original watchguards of that was the recreational fishermen. Um, you know, folks like the the people listening to this podcast, but um, yeah, you know, that was, you know, that was, you know, decades ago, just out of a passion, folks looking around and seeing the, um, seeing maybe some potential issues that that are, you know, that existed and
2: wanting to
1: address them. Absolutely. And and things evolve and things change and um, some things for the better and some, some things not, but, but we do have a uh, responsibility to take care of everything that's out there. Uh, The oceans, the fresh water, I mean, when we're taking care of the environment, we're taking care of ourselves also, aren't we?
2: Yeah, 100%.
1: Yeah, it it's all all so good to do that but and and you and I get the pleasure of uh making our livings in the outdoor industry. I I have a passion for it that I was in the 5th grade and I knew I wanted to be in the sport fishing industry through my store in uh Northern Illinois. I've had uh so many decades of, of uh fun of uh educating people and and selling products from like companies like DAFCO and and uh it's pretty neat um how, how much um the ideas that come for new products through, through AFCO is uh, what's the process for that? How do you come up with the need? Yeah.
3: So there's a good question. There's, um, you know, of course there's designers and product developers who are focused on that. But I'd say that, you know, really a lot of our best ideas come from uh, frankly, individual anglers, customers, or from, or from, um, uh, pro staff from professionals, right? Folks that have that have spent uh, you know 200 days a, uh, uh, a year on the water, and it's uh, hey, have you thought about you know I need a you know for example the Reaper, which is a real popular style of ours, one of our, our better selling winter pieces, came from uh, a kind of a combination of uh, uh, Mike Falster, um, uh, who manages our our, our, our marketing team, some pro staff, and our designer. And the need there was, its you know, you, you, you would be familiar with running down the lake early in the morning, particularly in, you know, early spring or late fall, and just the, the bite of the, of the wind when you're running at 60 miles an hour. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's almost insufferable. So we put a bit, a built in face mask, which kind of acts as a face warmer. Um, you know, it's, you can wear it all day long, but it kind of, it kind of works in the early morning runs, you know, exceptionally well. And, but that didn't come just from, you know, the California office. That was a combination of, the folks from California that have an action sports background married with um, outside
1: folks and, and um, uh, professionals as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and so many of your products are also good because they block the sun, direct sun f- uh, from getting on your skin, but f- which is a concern for all of us because there's many anglers that, that I'm sure we both know that have gotten skin cancer and, and products that cover up your, your hands and your arms that can be worn out on warm days. Uh, you guys develop things like that, too.
3: Yeah, definitely. That's something in the last, I want to say, you know, maybe twenty years. There seems to have been a growing awareness around the need for uh, sun protection. Which, um, yeah, and that you know, that's the, the uh, best-selling sun shirt, shirt called the Samurai, which is a you know, a, a, what we think is an affordable price point, good UPF fifty sun shirt. Um, you know, a lot of that's just around the need to keep the uh, the harmful UV rays off your skin.
1: Absolutely. Now. Y- uh, on the grants and things that you do, boy, there's so many things you can give to is i, I see you do some things in conjunction with b a s s and and uh, that that breaks down to uh helping uh kids and you know starter groups and kind of protecting where our businesses and where our industry is going to grow and and uh introducing new people is so important isn't it? yeah, it sure is, and you know there's
3: actually a handful of we call our you know ten percent pledge partners um you know, one of them is the, the, the folks that, that you help support, they have the ASA, and keep America fishing. And they're, they're such a great um, um, connector between all these different fishing organizations and companies. And um, but so the ASA is a real important partner. And then on the, you know, a lot of it gets around. To, I think it's something like eighty six percent, or it's like eighty six percent of folks that fish as adults uh, started before the age of twelve and it might even be higher than that, right? That might be low. So, you know, it's, it's some giant percentage of individuals that, that experience a passion for fishing late in their life started, uh, when they were young. And so, you know, it is terribly important to, there's a number of, Jay Ellis has a, a a group called Castor Kids and Ike and has one as well. And the, the Bass Nation grants is tied in through the Bass Nation's, um, uh, conservation groups looking for particularly around youth involvement. But the getting getting kids access to the outdoors from a young age is the sort of the gateway drug to them engaging in fishing later in their life.
1: yes, absolutely and and uh, both Jay and Mike have been on this program, and uh, they do great things for the industry and uh, uh, you're right. I think if we don't get them early, but uh, what What was your comment or what was your thought when we started fishing in high school and collegiately did you have any any thoughts i mean you saw that kind of come to fruition as 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 I did uh, in the industry
3: you know i think that's a wonderful thing uh, and it's you know it's still as a i think in the industry we get we get pretty centered around uh, competitive fishing well the reality is there's there's fifty five million anglers in this country and in most of them don't competitively bass fish, right, or competitively fish. But for the kind of the tip of the spear, the the I call them the, the most diehards, the, the rise of uh, what you know, initially college and now high school and this youth fishing. That's that's only a good thing, um, both for the industry and for folks' long term interest back into back into the, the sport of fishing as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I, I enjoy uh, watching these kids uh, perform and learn, and and not only uh, do they do well representing brands that they have a passion for, uh, but they they learn they learn sales techniques. Whether they end up in our industry or not, they're they're better people because of it. Is my thought.
3: Yeah, and man, it's just another excuse to get outside, right? It's uh, it's just another excuse to put down the put down the video game, put down the cell phone, which you know I'm guilty with of myself but um you know, particularly for the, the gosh, my kids aren't quite big enough yet but i just see it coming i see the the called the temptation of just being in front of the screen all day so um you know any way to kind of you know whether it's just running around outside with a fishing rod by themselves or a more formal sort of you know team sport around it any, any excuse to get outside the better
1: Oh, absolutely! Uh, and and how often do you get to fish yourself? I know you're a busy guy, and you've you've got some uh, kids at home, and and uh, but do you get out very often?
3: Yeah, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, oftentimes around my, my, my primary passion is surfing, so I surf quite a bit um, here, uh, basically in our backyard. I can surf, uh, you know, surfed a few times last week and surf before work. Uh, but we've got a lake about two hours away that we'll fish a decent amount with. It, take my kids up there and go there with my dad. And then I'll, um, you know, a lot of times around work events. So, you know, we were down to ASA Summit, got to sneak in a day or two down there in Venice, and um, I'll go fish up north when we're sponsoring one of the Bass elite tournaments this year. And so I'll sprinkle in, you know, I'll kind of the nice part about our job is I can mix uh, work and work and fishing together. Um, you, know, and, uh, and, you know, sometimes internationally, but mostly domestically, Florida, the, the, the uh, Midwest,
1: and, and in the South. Excellent, excellent. Well, Casey, I truly appreciate, and I think we all appreciate in this industry what AFCO does uh, for the environment. And I thank you for being on the podcast, and I appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. That was Casey Shed. I am Dave Kranz. Steve Sarley is remote, and this segment was brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. The We Fish ASA podcast will be right back.
0: The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here
1: for you. Calcutta Outdoors, from bluegill to bluefin, Calcutta Outdoors has the innovative outdoor recreational brands that consumers are looking for. We offer a wide range of trusted products, from fishing rods, combos, and tackle, to coolers, drinkware, outdoor apparel, And Marine Accessories, Calcutta Outdoors.
0: Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. While Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long-control light lure casting. MAG 4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Tatula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner is Dave Krantz, but he's not here. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Please help to ensure the future of fishing by visiting keepamericafishing.org. And if you're an industry professional at all, please consider joining the American Sport Fishing Association by visiting asafishing.org. Our next guest is somebody, may not be a household name, uh, and only because you're not looking for him, I'm telling you. If you search this guy out and find his material, you'll be addicted to it because this guy can fish and he can help you catch bigger fish. He can help you catch more fish. He is called a big fish expert. Please welcome Oliver Nye. Hey Oliver, how are you? I'm doing great. Excited Uh, to be here. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So Oliver, how do you like being referred to as a big fish expert?
4: I've been called worse things,
0: so <laughs> it's okay with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've been called a lot of worse things too, but I've never been a big fish expert. So you're way ahead of the game, my friend. Let me tell you. Oh, how, how yeah, it's been
4: it's been a pretty interesting run. Uh, obviously, I, it, didn't, it didn't start that way. Uh, my fishing journey came from pretty humble beginnings. I mean, literally with a stick and some discarded fishing line that I found walking the bank of a local lake. So there was a natural progression that most people weren't privy to, as I just slowly and organically grew into an angler that wanted
0: to catch the biggest fish that he could. Where did you grow up? Where did you start fishing?
4: Uh, well, those are the those are the those of the audience that are familiar with my story have seen it across platforms like Meat Eater um, and all of the other social media networks, but it started in a very unique way. I didn't have anybody in my family that fish. And we were just at a a local LA County city park that had a 240 acre lake surrounding it. Uh, And I was just a bored 10 year old kid, just losing his mind, walking along the bank, looking for something to do. And I literally came across some old discarded fishing line uh, had some of those eagle claw snelled leaders in that mess and untangled about three or four feet of it, wrapped it around the end of a stick that I found, and uh, tried my first hand at
0: fishing. And you were incredibly successful. You caught a 10-pound bass, and it just went from there, right?
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think uh, the opposite was actually true. And frankly, I did... Get a bite, and it had to be a bluegill or a regular sunfish off the end of a fishing pier. And that leviathan snapped that old line (laughs) almost instantaneously. And that mystery of what was that, I think, instantly captivated me for life.
0: Oh, amazing! And folks, everybody listening, you're listening to We Fish ASA, and this is the only. Fishing show you're gonna be listened to where people use the word like leviathan. I think that is so cool. You just you just upgraded the uh, uh, you just upgraded the vocabulary of everybody listening. Thank you very much for that, <laughs> Oliver Nye. And I'll say this a number of times. Oliver's last name is Nye, but it's spelled N G Y N G Y. So when you're searching them out on on Google or on Facebook or any social media, YouTube. It's N-G-Y. Please remember that. Uh, you, are, you When did you leave California for other grounds? Well, uh, California is a pretty
4: tough nut to crack as far as freshwater bass fishing goes. So it really enveloped my life uh, up until I was about 32. I, I didn't really get outside of the Southern California bubble. And I'm talking like a three-hour radius from downtown LA. Uh-huh. And in about 2014, uh, several factors started coalescing, and and not for the better. Uh, We were in the middle of another drought. Our urban and wintertime trout stocking program that was so prevalent throughout my life that really sustained an accidental trophy largemouth and striper fishery uh, was subsiding for reasons and a bunch of those factors just pretty much brought down the hammer on trophy bass fishing in southern california like it was never easy but by gosh man it got really tough to catch one over 10 to catch one in the teens uh and that those tough conditions really forced me to go explore and this is probably two or three years into social media becoming rampant in everybody's daily lives and I had grown a pretty amazing following not only in California but throughout the country and have became became friends uh, through the internet and social media with, with people all over the United States. And one of those guys, I mean, he was a stark supporter of big bass streams, which is uh, my brand. And that brand started as a, like a documentary or a film series and has just morphed into so much more. Mm-hmm. But he was like, man, you need to come out to Austin and fish this lake. And I got to see what you're capable of doing with your big swim baits and blah, blah, blah. And honestly, I, being in Southern California, we, we, we tend to get stuck in our own world and not pay too much attention to bass fishing as a whole east of us, because most there's a lot of us that don't see much of that fishing culture translating to ours because our, we feel our fisheries are so unique and heavily pressured. Uh, And I was like, Oh, okay. Let me start doing some research. Apparently Lake Austin is like top 10 bass fishery in the country several times okay. in that past decade. And I'm like, holy crap, like you got the Sharon Lunker program, which is this Texas Department of Wildlife program where they uh, take 13 pound plus trophy largemouth from January 1st through, I forget what it is, maybe April 1st or May 1st. I
0: believe it's April then, 1st, yeah.
4: Yeah, and they they take them to their facility in Athens, uh, Lake Athens in East Texas, breed those big females with 100% peer Florida strain genetics, and then release those fingerlings throughout the state. And Lake Austin had been uh, pumping out several junkers and I, I believe the, the biggest one documented was a 16-pounder, the year of the drawdown. So I'm like, okay, well, obviously this place has got big ones, so I'll come out there if you paid for my plane ticket. <laughs> He's like, done. And I'm like, come on. Like, who does that? That's amazing. me out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I wouldn't have done it if he wasn't such a, a great supporter of, of my movement that I felt like I was starting. Uh-huh. Um, and curiosity just finally got the better of me. and I fly out uh, in late November of 2014. And of course, and it's still holding true even today because I'm back in Texas and I'm sitting in the midst of another cold front. Uh, I bring... <laughs> abnormally cold weather with mm-hmm. me that they never experienced in Austin before at that time of year. I'm like, you're welcome. <laughs> and even though I proceeded to freeze my ass off, you know, high highs of low forties and such, uh, I still squeaked out several good fish on the big bait. And my first 10 pound Texas largemouth came that week. Uh, and we documented all of it and i was like my gosh man this place is pretty incredible And this is 2014 the locals are telling me uh, that i missed the window and the golden age and the golden era of lake austin used to be a grass fishery used to be able to flip a jig or fish a texas rig worm in the holes etc cetera, etc cetera. and now that the grass on our fish were gone and What they didn't realize was those fish were still there. They had just repositioned and had to relearn how to live in that body of water. And I I was like, I got to come back. And I, I came back in February of 2015 with my own boat, my own rig, and proceeded to get my ass kicked for about a month with the same abnormally cold weather conditions that I once again brought down to the city of Austin. And slowly but surely started unlocking that 27-mile-long puzzle and learning how to catch them with a fresh perspective. And I think that fresh perspective has boded me well over the years because I'm not handcuffed to past experiences in fishing history. I'd actually go out there and fit a bunch, but learned through every failure and figured out a pretty solid couple of patterns that turned into probably the one of the greatest runs on big bass that i've ever had and starting in late february i think i went all the way through may and caught one over seven pounds every day every day on a big b it was crazy and that is magnificent and documented all of it. And you see most of that content in my second film documentary, uh, Big Bass Streams, uh, The Movement. And that's back when people used to buy DVDs. So we used to actually print DVDs and sell the DVDs and try to monetize the the content that way back then. Um, But yeah, that was, that was a real first big push. And then that, First spring spent in Texas was like, oh my gosh, the grass is so much greener here in Texas than it is at home right now because literally there's no water to water anybody's lawns. <laughs> and you'd get a fine for doing so within the city
0: limits. I, I, and that pushed me to move out there full time. Uh, incredible, and uh, you know Texas's DNR does, does such a magnificent job with uh, what they do, and uh, the ability to produce these fish on a on a constant basis with with some regularity is exciting. But you were talking about Lake Austin, and uh, uh, well, it wasn't what I was uh, what I was thinking when you were you were talking about the the fish just moved. Uh, what I was thinking was that uh, it, it was cyclical. And I think that that happens a lot. We, we've talked to people uh, over the years about Lake Fork, and uh, I think Fork is on an upswing again. Uh, it, it, it was now, you didn't hear about uh, double-digit fish from Fork for a number of years where it used to be fairly commonplace. And, and I think a lot of these uh, waterways are, are, are cyclical in nature. Um, I'm not sure if you've, Find that to be true or not. I thought it was interesting you were talking about they just, they they didn't disappear, they just moved. Uh, the Southern California aside, because the diet changed and the size of the fish have changed, do you find what I'm saying about uh, cyclical fish populations to be true? Or is, it, is a guy who's saying that the uh, populations have changed just not figuring them out?
4: Uh, I definitely agree that there is a cyclical pattern with a lot of these fisheries, barring that most of those factors remain relatively constant. All right. That's the problem we have in California right now. So, for example, obviously losing those trout stocks was a huge blow because now you are not able to sustain these fisheries past a normal carrying capacity what they were doing by trying to introduce an urban wintertime fishery aimed at kids and intermediate fishermen was also pumping a vast volume of food into a system and it was all inadvertent and and really an accident but still it went on for decades yeah and i'm talking about from from october through may every year every other week A small body of water like my home lake, which is a 240-acre pudding stone in San Dimas. All you Bill and Ted excellent adventure fans would appreciate this, but their (laughs) San Dimas high school is literally on the other side of the freeway from the lake. Oh, wow. It would would get on the low side 1,200 to 1,400 pounds of trout every other week, up to 2,800 pounds. So that was a huge volume of food being pumped into a system artificially up and down the state. Did they that cut that for budget? Man, no one can get a real straight answer. There is at one point uh, some law students that uh, filed a lawsuit with the Department of Fish and Game pertaining to the stocking program and the poss- the very remote possibility. And it was a very ridiculously low number uh, of those uh, planter trout escaping those reservoirs downstream into what used to be historically native steelhead populations mm-hmm. and diluting those genetics. Hmm. And mind you, there probably isn't an active steelhead stream below Santa Barbara County line. Okay. I mean, it's, it's not 150 years ago. There's, there's hardly
0: any water flowing into the ocean anywhere anymore. Oh, uh, I, I, so it's for absurd. For sure. Yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't imagine. I've read a lot about it. Uh, these tiny little uh, lakes that are used to provide uh, drinking water for communities are uh, putting out the uh, uh, fish in the high teens, uh, the low twenties, uh, and the amount yep. of money that's spent to put these trout in, basically for the amusement of. I want to say fifty guys who fish these things every day, trying to come up with a, totally. a, a world record <laughs> fish. Boy, uh, the, those guys were really taken care of uh, by government money. Oh,
4: man. It, it was a pretty wild scene, and then you take into account the, the, the extreme catch and release mentality of a California angler. And I mean, this is coming straight from the mouths of. Several biologists that I've talked to that work for the Fish and Game in California and elsewhere, uh, one of the things that they've noted in their data is just the lack of harvest. There's been too much catch and release. Right. And once again, since these fisheries aren't getting that that bonus uh, trout stocking, you're compounding that with the fact that now there's too many small fish fighting for an even limited resource in food so their growth rates in the past two decades i think has slowed down to a third of what they used to be because back then people would keep fish and they're getting trout so the ones that were left had plenty of room and food to grow. sure sure makes that's a that's a hard concept for a bass fisherman uh, who feels so passionately about our sport fish for them to really digest and understand and be okay with catch and keep of fish, especially below 15 inches.
0: Yeah, I I, I understand exactly what you're saying. But I need to take a quick break, uh, let our sponsors have a word. When we come back, we'll talk about your sponsors. We'll talk about how to find you. We're on with the Oliver Nye. It's spelled N-G-Y, but it's Oliver Nye and uh, he is a big fish expert, and I've got a lot of things to talk to him about. I think I've used up way too much time, so we'll try to zip through when we come back with Oliver and I, right after this. You know, when I look at the tournaments I've won,
3: probably four or five of the boats that I've won have been on a tube. but i completely gotten away from flipping a tube because no many, nobody made one soft enough. Big bite has come with this new
1: Tour series of baits, the thing that's probably the most unique is when you look at that bait, the salt just rolls out of it. And to me, that is the reason a fish bites a tube and hangs on it. This isn't one of those, let's go out and catch some smallmouth tube. This is a let's get it done tube.
0: Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. While well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control, light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Tatula, the ultimate finesse long-cast system designed by Daiwa. The St. Croix story has evolved over 70 years. With gritty determination, St. Croix built the most advanced fishing rod facility in the world, and with it, a world-class brand that has earned the respect and admiration of anglers around the planet. We will continue to challenge ourselves, our employees, and our partners to be the best every day. We're proud to celebrate 70 years of passion and commitment to making the best rods on Earth. St. Croix. We Fish ASA is back. I am Steve Sarley, and I am here with my guest this week, Mr. Oliver Nye. That's spelled N-G-Y. Make sure you get that right when you're looking him up on social media or you want to Google where to find out Oliver Nye information because this guy knows big fish. I introduced him as uh, as a big fish specialist, and he certainly is. You know, the you're you're speaking at uh, this coming weekend, the 26th, 27th, 28th, and 29th, out at the uh, Schaumburg Convention Center for the huge Chicago Land Sport Fishing Show. And anybody wants to uh, stop out, please do. But check Oliver's uh, Facebook page for any other appearance he's making, because uh, I saw him a couple of years ago at the National Professional Anglers Association uh, conference, and and he was incredible and people were just absolutely captivated by what he had to say, so he is definitely worth paying some attention to. You truly enjoy educating, and and these shows where you get to make appearances at are are very important to you. Are they not? Oh, my gosh. They're
4: they're some of my favorite things that I'm involved in, and getting to meet people with the same passion face-to-face and carry on those conversations uh, is... Some of the best things about the fishing culture that we have so yeah absolutely looking forward to it i'll be doing seminars every day we get in thursday morning uh we kick off with a seminar on a very fundamental genre of lore one that was very instrumental in my fishing art and i'll be going on a ridiculously deep dive uh, well, as deep as a hog trough which is what about six foot of water yep so will allow, we'll allow me on fishing uh, a very unique series and family of lipless crankbaits. Lipless crankbaits?
0: Interesting. Yeah. You know, I've had an incredible run this past 15 months with them. Uh, how, how big are these lipless crankbaits we're
4: talking about? Anything from 75 millimeters to 150. Inches? What would that relate to?
0: Millimeters? So you're talking like three quarters of an inch to six inches almost six uh, okay so i like a sick a, a, a mega rattle trap kind of bait and a lot of people say i've been catching fish with those for years and years what what the heck can you teach me you chuck it out there you reel it back in what what what's this guy gonna gonna <laughs> teach me i think that's the trap with that style bait no pun intended, of course. Uh, that, uh, that was very good. I, was, I wasn't going to let that go by. It sounded like I wasn't going to say that was a good one. Uh, what, what, what is you can the... absolutely have success just chucking and winding and,
4: and fishing that, the, that that lure aimlessly. That's, that's one of the reasons why it's been such an iconic and still a very productive lure generations after its inception. But uh, one of my brand partners has taken that that concept and really tweaked it and i'm I'm going to be talking about four different models across three or four different size ranges so think of how many options you have there on top of that the ridiculous amount of colors and it can be a bit overwhelming for somebody that comes across that particular aisle in their tackle shop So I'm going to be documenting it to share with uh, our membership on YouTube as well for those that can't make the show. But each one of those options has a subtle nuance where I've discovered it is more effective than other options out there. And and frankly, they they provide solutions for problems that other lipless hard baits, and in this case, even soft baits,
0: uh, haven't been able to solve prior. That, that's extremely interesting, and I, I know you realize you, you lost a number of people listening when you said subtle nuance, because most fishermen have no idea what subtle nuance means or have any interest in practicing subtle nuance in their uh, fishing techniques. Uh, you've got to learn to adapt. Uh, you, you can't be stuck in, 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 the, in the old world and I, you know, I almost stopped you before when you were talking in the first segment about, uh, uh, you know, history and you know, so many fishermen or you, you catch a nice fish in a certain place and you're pounding that place every time you go to that body of water over and over again because it produced a great fish for you one time. Doesn't mean it's ever going to do it again. And it's awfully hard for fishermen to break out of that mold and try new things. Absolutely. And I can relate. Uh, I I worked a standard
4: job and career for a bulk of my life. So when I got my one or two days off a week, I wanted to maximize my time off. And it's natural to want to go to something that you know or you think works on your local body of water. And that's where this trap of local fishing culture gets the best of so many anglers because you're surrounded by guys in your area that are having success time and time again it seems on relatively the same patterns and techniques it's hard to justify the time to invest into trying something else like FOMO is a real thing in fishing cultures no matter where I go in this country and the world it's too much of a risk for the average everyday angler to try something and fail on their own so that's where I come in Because I get to come in there with no hesitation, with the expectancy that I'm actually going to have more success than the local fishing culture eventually because I'm targeting these pressured fish a completely different way. And really, I learned that by beating up my own fish, just like you described. I mean, you're talking about 240 to 2,000 acre reservoirs in Southern California. Like I would fish them every day, sun up to sundown. Like, I was conditioning those fish 1,000%. And I actually had to stay ahead of myself to keep catching them. As crazy as that sounds. So when I'd have buddies fishing with me, and you'd see this on the first DVD, uh, Big Gastroenterians Volume 1, all of my buddies are pretty much playing net boy Because they were trying to emulate what I was doing the day before or even earlier in that day. And what they didn't realize was they were already... Fishing too far in the past and not being adaptive and experimenting and trying
0: something new constantly to try to fool these fish that's that's amazing and, it, and it's all clicking it's making sense to me and uh i've got to get out of a lot of that uh, old old mindset because you know it's like, well, why uh uh, why would I want to fish with a new technique and, and get skunked? I, I get skunked plenty on my own. I don't need to buy new equipment <laughs> or new lures. I can do bad. I can have a bad day without your help, Oliver. But it, it's 100% right. I may never have a good day unless I change.
4: Absolutely. and it's Fishing is a total high-risk, high-reward kind of activity. If you're willing to risk it for the biscuit, like, there are some amazing things that you can unlock with a rod and reel in your hands, uh, but if if you continue to to operate the exact same way, time in time out, like to expect anything different is it's pretty pretty ridiculously ludicrous.
0: It is. It's just not going to happen. It, it, it is, and, and you know I, I'm no professional, so I fall into a lot of uh, the traps that we're talking about. Uh, and I need to uh, I need to open my eyes, open my ears, and listen to a guy like uh, Oliver Nye. That's N G Y. When you're doing a search for him, Oliver N G Y. Pronounced Nye. Uh, boy, this guy is a, a, a genius. I, I heard him talking. You know what? We're talking uh, bass here. When I heard you at the NPAA, you were talking to a uh, crowd which was primarily walleye fishermen, and, and they just ate up what you have to say. You are not strictly a bass guy. You, you are a big fish guy. You, you'll catch anything that, that's worth having on the end of your line uh, and have a good time doing it, and you can give information and helpful tips on various species of fish.
4: Yeah, there's a beautiful commonality in a predatory fish that I've found to hold true throughout the United States and most recently, uh, throughout the world, so you'll find big musky dreams, big tuna dreams, uh, big bluegill dreams, uh, all kinds of different playlists on the YouTube channel that just showcases uh, how much I love being a multi-species angler, and, and really, being a multi-species angler makes me a better trophy largemouth and smallmouth fisherman. Than being a trophy largemouth and Smallmouth Fishman makes me a better multi-species angler. Excellent. the more perspectives, yeah, the more perspectives, and the more experience you have overall, uh, the better you'll be. And I see this strange mindset across fishing cultures that are very heavily focused. Whether it's walleye, especially muskies, uh, especially regional parts of bass fishing Americana, like there's a weird perception that if you aren't all in on one species all the time, that you can't be an authority on that subject. When I find the case to be the opposite, when when I get to parlay ideas with like-minded individuals and guys with incredible resumes of big fish caught, I find that more often than not, those guys are multi-species, multi-activity guys and they're able to draw just experience and inference from other styles of fishing to apply to whatever it is. And I do the same thing in my fishing.
0: Yeah, that is a that is a beautiful thing. It sounds like you've really got this thing figured out. If people want to learn more about Oliver Nye, that's N G Y. Uh, uh, I I can't believe how many times I'm saying it but I think it's I think it's (laughs) I think it's necessary if they uh, in order what places should they go to look up Oliver Nye and find out more about him
4: well thankfully they don't have to go to the public library and mess with the Dewey Decimal System (laughs) Um, but I'm working on changing that hopefully Uh, we're we're looking to bring what's old back to the forefront and we've been threatening to do a series of written books uh, for people to digest so much of this information that I didn't necessarily come up with, but I feel is important uh, because as you're as you're alluding to right now, there's so many easy ways to find information, whether that's YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, now even TikTok, uh, that it becomes a little muddied. Like there's, there aren't the filters that there used to be prior to the 2010s. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anybody and everybody can have a platform and that's both good and bad. Good in the sense that it's allowed someone like me to connect with people uh, unhinged for over 10 years now, but bad in that anybody can literally have their own platform. So no longer is there a filter or an editor that's calling the shots and saying, "Oh, this is good enough for somebody else to take in and digest." Excellent. And you can find stuff that we do
0: all over the place because that is the nature of today's game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, if you if you'd like to hear more from Oliver Nye, that's N G Y, and I certainly want to hear more. I'm looking forward to first of all seeing him speak. Every day at the Schaumburg Convention Center for the Big Chicagoland Fishing Expo. I'm I'm from Chicago, so this is great for me. He'll be, he'll be there every day. Uh, look forward to seeing him. Look forward to talking to him. Uh, if you want to know more, go to his Facebook page. He puts his comings and goings on there pretty well. But anywhere, you know, he's he's all over all over YouTube, all over social media. Uh, Google Big Bass Dreams. Uh, he's on the Mega Bass website. Uh, meat Eater Crew. I love that. I love that name. Uh, waiting. I'll be bombarded with uh, letters from PETA people complaining about the Meat Eater Crew guy I had on. Well, that's too darn. That's <laughs> too darn bad, is what I say. But uh, he is. He's a great guy. He's a great educator, and best of all to me, a great fisherman. Look forward to meeting him. Oliver and I, thank you very much for being with us. That's Oliver and I, N-G-Y. Thanks for being with us, and hopefully we'll do this again in the near future.
4: Absolutely, Steve. Appreciate you having me on and looking forward to hanging out with you and everybody else at Schaumburg this
0: weekend. It's our pleasure. Oliver and I, thank you. That wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA podcast, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'd like to thank today's guest, Casey Shedd, president of AFTCO. Dan Johnston from St. Croix, and Mr. Oliver Nye. That's N-G-Y, Oliver Nye, big bass expert, big fish expert. Yeah, can't wait to hear this guy talk. I'd like to thank our sponsors, St. Croix, the best rods on earth, Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, and Daiwa, we've got your bass covered, Daiwa Reels. Remember that there's a new episode of our We Fish ASA podcast each and every week. Check us out at our website. Send us a letter. Ask us a question. We answer everything we get. That's wefishasa.com. I'm Steve Sarley here with Dave Kranz. We'll see you next week. Now let's go fishing.